0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Well, we are in week three of our series on the holiness of God, and today we're going to continue to camp in Isaiah chapter six. In week one, if you remember, we were, our focus was on verses one through four, As we consider the emphasis of God's holiness. In Hebrew literature and language, one of the ways that magnitude is conveyed or infinite emphasis is conveyed is through the use of what we call consecutive repetition. And do you know that there is only one description of God in the entire Bible that is repeated repeated consecutively to the third degree? The Bible never says that God is love, 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 though he is a loving God. It never says that he is just, just, just. It never says that he is merciful, merciful, merciful. But we see here in Isaiah chapter 6 that the word of God declares purposefully for emphasis that God is holy, holy, holy. And perhaps. This is because holiness is not a single attribute of God, but get this, it is the sum of who God is, of all of his attributes. Holiness, in its simplest form, has the idea of separateness. God is separate from his creation, but we've got to be careful here because God is not separate from us in the way that a table is separate from a chair. As Dr. Sproul points out, God is transcendentally separate from us. In other words, to transcend means to go beyond, to go above. And so God is not just different than us, but how many know his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts? We serve an awesome, holy God. So that was week one, the emphasis of God's holiness. Week two, our focus was on verses five to eight as we looked at the impact of God's holiness. How does God's holiness impact our own lives? In looking at Isaiah chapter six, we see that Isaiah has a very traumatic experience as he encounters the Lord through this vision of God's holy temple. And he declares this prophetic uh, utterance that says, Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips. And we saw from that week that Isaiah, in the presence of God, saw not only God for the first time, but he saw himself for the first time. See, comparatively, when Isaiah would look around to other Israelites, to the people of Judah, comparatively to his generation, he looked pretty spiritual. He looked pretty righteous. And so he probably went into the temple feeling pretty good about himself, comparatively. But when he encountered the holiness, the perfection of God, he was absolutely undone and he declares, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. But as Isaiah humbles himself before the Lord, a really beautiful thing happens. He has a broken and contrite heart before God, and God touches him with his grace, forgives him, redeems him, and he actually calls him into this partnership and he says, hey, I'll use you for my glory. Isn't that great news? And today, I want to preach on the last few verses as we consider together the message of holiness. So I know you just got seated. I wanted to give you a break for just a moment. We're going to read a few verses together here. And so just in honor of the word of God, would you stand one more time for the reading? Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 8. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. The Bible says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, this is Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and land is desolate, the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed, is it stumped? Just this is the word of the Lord, and I pray this morning that you receive it as such. You may be seated. Some time ago, the Reader's Digest printed a piece titled, 21 Stupid Warning Labels That Will Make You Feel Like a Genius. How many have ever read a warning label something like that? I'd like to share a few of these with you today. Warning on a wheelbarrow, not intended for highway use. Warning on a baby stroller. Where's Kara at? You hear this warning? (laughs) Remove child before folding. That's right up there on a baby stroller, right? Somebody shoot that to Kara, all right? I love this one. Do not eat an iPod shuffle. Come to think of it, they do look pretty tasty. That's right up there with with the, uh, what is it, the Tide Pods, right? I love this. Warning may cause drowsiness. Use care when operating car. That's a label found on dog medicine. Okay, two warning labels would be better. Don't let your dog drive or don't take dog medicine, right? Number five, caution, risk of fire found on a package of fireplace logs. Thanks for the warning. Number six, the final one, this is a letter opener. I don't know why I find this amusing. Safety goggles recommended. <laughs> How many know that life is full of warning labels, and some of them we heed, others we do not? We were uh, on the boat a couple weeks ago. My, my stepfather has a, has a large pontoon, and, and you know when you pull away from the marina, there's a no-wake zone. How many know what I'm talking about? And that's where you don't, you don't you know, run that thing at all. I mean, the, the water needs to be still. And it looked like there's this group of young. We, we're pulling away, and you know, we're kind of putting along. And all of a sudden, we see the, the water just begin to go like this. And we hear a, a, the revving of an engine. And there's these young college guys, look like. And it looks like they've never been in a boat before. And they have this massive, like, speedboat and they pull away from the marina they, they they throw that thing in reverse and they just back out as quickly as they can and they just f- flood it i mean they they're just they're going as quickly as possible kind of pedal to the metal even though it's not a pedal uh, uh, you know that the, the throttle is 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 all the way and, and they're just they're they're blowing past everybody else and what they don't realize is that those warnings are there for a reason because just a, a maybe a, a couple dozen yards away are boats that are docked, and, and these are expensive boats, because of the waves now, they are beating up against the dock. And people are livid. They're screaming. And if you know my stepdad, he's not going to just sit by and watch. He stops the boat. He, he gets up, stands up, and I've got R.D. and Alexa back there with me. First time they've ever met my family. And I said, oh, just hang on. It's about to get interesting. And all of a sudden, my, my, my dad, he, uh, he stands up and he says, hey, can't you read? The sign says no wake. And so finally, they get the idea after eyeballing him, you know, for, for a little bit. They, they understand what's going on and they slow it down. But listen, life is full of warning labels. And listen, there are times just like those young men that we don't heed the warning. Now, if you take out your notes this morning, there's a question on there that I really want you to ponder. You don't have to write anything down on that right now. On the bottom of the front page, right underneath the scripture, there's this question. How will you respond to God's warnings? The Bible is replete with really good news and with warnings. And I I, I know some people who really love the good parts, the verses that they can claim, right? And, And it'd be really good news and it doesn't cost them anything, but then they skip over those warning passages, right? The Bible is replete with warnings. How will you respond to the warnings found in Scripture? Well, Isaiah is given the incredible job, actually the very tough, incredibly tough job, of delivering this prophetic message of warning to the people. And the Lord just tells him, instead of repenting, your message is actually going to harden their hearts. To their demise, this generation of the Israelites are really failing to consider God's holiness, His judgment. And you know what they're doing? They are essentially calling God's bluff, much like people today. I want to break this passage down quickly into three parts. And we're going to begin, if you're taking notes, by looking at the state of Judah or the condition of Judah, the people of God couldn't read my own writing if you saw me. (laughs) King Uzziah has just died. A little background for you. And during his reign, the people of Judah have lived in a time of great prosperity. But in the midst of their comfort, they begin to take God for granted. And all of a sudden, instead of worshiping God and obeying God, They began to just do their own thing, thinking we don't really need him anymore. We're doing okay. Does that sound familiar? And they began to fall away from the living God. Now, if we look back to chapter 1 of Isaiah, we get a pretty good idea of the nation's condition. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. All sinful nation, a people, watch this, laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, Children who deal corruptly, here's what they've done. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. What strong word. the people of God, the ones who at one time called out to God and said, Oh, we are the chosen people. We are God's people. We are the mighty Israel Because of what God's doing in us, God's prospered them. And now, through their own lukewarmness, if you will, they're estranged from God. Do you know anybody who once called upon the name of the Lord who seems to be estranged from God? Then you move to chapter 5 and we see six woes that lament Israel's current state. And they reveal the depths of their loose living and rebellious hearts. And then in verse 24 you see this. They've rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and they've despised, there's that word again, despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Now you take all of this into consideration in verse 25 in in Isaiah chapter 5 says this, Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people. The anger of the Lord was kindled against His people. And I, I fear Church, that we do not talk enough about the anger of the Lord. We sing about His love all the time, and we should. He is a loving God, but He is holy. He is righteous, and He has a holy anger that you do not want to experience. I do not want to experience. God is, is the kind of being you kind of want to be on His good side. Come on, somebody. All right. So what I want you to understand, Isaiah is living in a time where people are experiencing moral disintegration and lack of regard for the word of the Lord. Now, when you read through the charges of the Israelites against the Israelites, you cannot help but notice great similarities between them and what we're experiencing right now in our country. You know, there was a time, and and I'm only 40 years old, and I remember a time when it seemed like, by and large, people were for the things of God. Do you remember when there was just a hunger? And I'm talking by and large. I know there's still a remnant today who are hungry for God. But by and large, people seemed to really love God, to love His Word, love to pray. There was a reverence for God. But in our comfort, much of our nation, just like Israel, has kind of got this idea, well, we don't really need him anymore. You know, we sing all the time, God bless America. And indeed, God has blessed America. And I believe he's blessed us because of our forefathers. Though we were not, certainly not Christian in every decision that we made, we didn't seek the Lord on every single decision. There was a general consensus that we want God to be the foundation of our country. And friends, miraculously, in a way like No other country in the world, God has blessed us. Praise the Lord. Amen? We live in an awesome country, but you know what's happened? In the height of our prosperity, there's become a comfort where people feel they don't need him anymore. There's been an arrogance come upon the people. They've forgotten why we lived in the most blessed country in the world. And now they feel like they don't need him anymore. And it's not just this lukewarmness. Ah, you know what? I might go to church today. I might not. There are people now, just like in Israel that we just read, who literally despise the Lord. They're militant against him. Men and women who shake their fist at the things of God. As a matter of fact, one of the charges against Israel in chapter 5 is that there are those who call evil good And good, evil. Is that not the story of our nation? I want you to just think for a moment. Think about abortion. Think about sexual immorality, homosexuality, greed, biblical atrocities. And not only are these things tolerated in our country today, friends, they are celebrated. What are we doing? Calling evil good and good evil. Hmm. The good things, Bible reading, living by the Word of God, prayer, holy living, pure living, sexual purity, these things are mocked and laughed at today. And I just heard, I didn't see this article, but I heard some, I don't remember where I heard this, but they said one of the top 10 books that GQ Magazine says not to read, guess what it is? The Bible. We're moving in the same direction as the people of God of this generation, Isaiah's generation. What's the problem? In our comfort, we have lost sight and reverence for the holiness of God. I said a couple weeks ago that God has been defanged in the minds of people. He's been almost domesticated. God is reduced to like a cute little pet. Oh, sweet little Jesus, you know. And, and, and he's here just to comfort us when we need it. And he's here just to meet our every little need. And, and, and when we don't need him, when we want to do our own thing, we can just put him in, you know, lock him in a little crate, and he'll be there when we get home. Nice and neat. You know the issue? God has become a concept in the minds of many people rather than a reality. God as a concept, see, is not a threat to anybody. Why? Because a concept of God can be molded by individuals to fit your own lifestyle. This is what we see today. There's a guy who I I met in Lexington not too long ago that said to me, well, he's living a really, really blatantly sinful lifestyle. And he says to me, well, the God of the New Testament is not the God of the Old Testament. It's different now. I said, oh, no. Listen, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, there's a lot about grace in the New Testament, But it is replete with warnings. Do this, do this, live this way. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's warnings about judgment, about wrath, all of those things. So many people have lost sight of God's holiness, His majesty, His all powerfulness, just His glory. What we need is what I just said earlier during worship we need a God encounter. We need to get what Isaiah had, a true encounter where God moves from a concept to a reality in our lives. We need to, again, have a healthy fear of the Lord, which brings me to my second point, the judgment of God. By the way, if you're new here, I spent 16 weeks talking about the grace of God in the book of Galatians. But I think we need this. We need to talk, too, about the judgment of God. Here's what I want you to understand in in our text today, that God has been extremely long-suffering and patient with his people. This isn't a one-day mess-up. No, this is ongoing rebellion, and the Lord has had enough. Judgment is coming upon the Israelites. I often think in this country, when is enough going to be enough? Listen, people think, well, you know, God's silent in this, so You know, either he's not real or he's not who you think he is. Listen, no, the Lord is just gracious and he's long-suffering and he's patient. But I wouldn't push it. I would not push it. In verses 9 and 10, I want you to look at, at this judgment that's coming upon the people. And I want you to see two things. I want you to see God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Look at verse 9 again. It says, he said, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see. This is a tough passage. And hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is a tough passage because how can the Lord who wishes that none perish harden the hearts of men and women so that they would not repent well it is best when we come up on a a tough passage like this to interpret scripture with scripture and we find a very familiar story that is similar to this in the book of exodus concerning moses and pharaoh and the people of god as they were slaves in the land of egypt and god says this in exodus 7 3 he says i i want you to Maybe circle that word or make note of it in your notes. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And great judgment comes upon the people of Egypt, including men, women, and children. As a result... Of Pharaoh's hardened heart, but wait a minute, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Is this unfair? Is this just? We've got to consider two things to understand this question. Number one, we've got to understand that Pharaoh is not a kind, gentle, innocent man, he is a ruthless dictator who enslaves God's people for years his heart is already hardened against the Lord and what about the other families they at least acquiesce to the way God's people are being treated nobody is rising up nobody is there rebelling they are guilty before the Lord and then secondly on at least two occasion the bible makes it occasions the bible makes it clear that pharaoh hardens his own heart one of them beating in ex, Exodus 8.15, it says this, When Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart. Turn my microphone off. I'm good. Thank you. He hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord said. Exodus 8.32, But Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, this isn't necessarily explained, but here's what I think it's, it means. Perhaps God hardened further... Pharaoh's already hardened heart that he might fully display his glory through his wrath. We see the same thing in the New Testament. Lest you think this is just an Old Testament principle. Romans 1, 18 through 32. I won't read the whole thing for time's sake, but it says this, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now watch this. Who by their unrighteousness Suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or gave thanks to, or, or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. So it's, it, this is on them. Understand, their unrighteousness, they knew God. They knew of Him. They saw through the creation that there is a God, but they did not honor Him as God. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Again, we see this same principle. Here we see God giving someone completely over to their already rebellious hearts. It's almost like God's saying, fine, this is what you want, so be it. I, I remember uh, my, my pastor, Pastor Kenny Speaks, uh, he couldn't tell this story from the pulpit now, but um, he, years ago he, he told of when his, one of his daughters were really young, and they had this kind of wood-burning fireplace, and they warned her over and over and over, do not touch the fireplace, and she kept, every night they'd be in the living room, she'd go up and kind of get that look like, hey, you, know, you know what I mean? How many parents know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I'm going to touch it. I'm and they'd say, no, don't touch it. It's going to burn you. And she'd pull her arm back. She was so disobedient and disobedient and disobedient. And finally, she says to them one more time, I'm going to touch it. I'm going to touch it. And they said, don't do it. But she kept pressing and pressing. They said, fine, touch it. Now, don't call social services on my pastor, all right? (laughs) I think that's what God does to us sometimes. He's telling you, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. It's not good for you. It's not good for you. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't treat people like that. Whatever the warning might be. And we're going, oh, come on, just one time, one time, one time. Finally, he says, fine. Fine. And we're bringing judgment upon ourselves. This is why you don't play with the Lord. If the Lord's calling you, repent today. Lest your your, your heart become so hardened that he just gives you over to that. That's what's happening here. Isaiah's message actually becomes a tool to hide the truth from people who are unreceptive already. In the New Testament, it's interesting that Jesus does the same thing. He even alludes to this scripture in Isaiah. If you go with me to Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to try to move really quickly here. Verse 10, he says this. Jesus says, uh, when the disciples came to him, he said, "Why do you?" Sp-, they ask, "Why do you speak to them in parables?" And Jesus said, "To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has more will be given, and he will have abundance." But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, and then he, he quotes the scripture that we read today. God's sovereign judgment is at work as he hardens the hearts even more of the Israelites. But, that's his sovereign decree, but they too have responsibility. This is not injustice. Okay, God is fair. God is just. God is merciful. Because for so long they have rejected the word of the Lord. This, friends, is no slap on the wrist either. Look at verse 11. Isaiah says, how long, O Lord? How long are you going are, are to judge these people? And he says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant." This is severe. And houses without people, and the land is desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far far away, and the forsaken places are in the midst of the land. God is describing here the eventual collapse (laughs) of Judah. And this comes as a direct result of their own rebellion. And the immediate fulfillment, if if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, comes in Judah's Babylonian exile. They're taken into exile. And the Israelites should have heeded God's commands long ago, but they did not take the Lord seriously. And church, it would behoove us to remember that a devastating, bitter end awaits those who live in habitual rebellion to the Lord. You say, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. Well, let's look what Paul says about it. In Galatians 6-7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh, his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. The Lord is patient. Hallelujah. The Lord is kind. Yes, he is. The Lord is loving. Yes, he is. But he is not to be taken advantage of. It is a fearful thing to walk in disobedience to the Lord. It's a fearful thing to reject the word of the Lord, to go our own way. And so we've looked now at the state of Judah. We've looked at the judgment of God. But I want to end by considering the really good news. I don't want you walking out of here with your heads down. I want you to consider the good news with me found in God's message spoken through Isaiah. Verse 13. And though a tenth remain in it, It will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Friends, God is merciful. How does He respond when people reject His grace? With more grace. It's incredible. This passage ends with a declaration of God's grace. The judgment will come, but it does not have ultimate say Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Wrath does not have the the, the last word in this chapter, but grace. Here's what's happening. God says, yes, many people are going to be destroyed, but but God will preserve a remnant to accomplish his own good purposes. Listen, if everybody was wiped out, the covenant made with Abraham would be done away with, and the Messiah would not have come. But God, though people were estranged from him, he said, oh, judgment's coming, but by grace, there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be this holy stump. And that stump will be charred. If you've ever seen the, you know, the aftermath of a forest fire, it'll, it'll be charred, but that stump will remain. And it's interesting that out of that stump, it's glorious out of that stump, through this remnant comes the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to offer grace to a broken and rebellious world. Isaiah 11.1 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. That rebellious generation, I want you to don't miss this, I'm, I'm closing. That rebellious generation did not ruin God's redemptive plan. Because we serve a merciful God who keeps his promises. Jesus did come in his death. He actually appeased the wrath of God that through him now we might be saved. And this ought to make your heart leap with joy. Thank God for his patience and his grace. Now understand, this grace, as we talked about through Galatians, is not to be trampled. This is not a license to sin. Well, I can go where I want. I can listen to what I want. I can watch what I want. I can say what I want. I can live how I want to live. And if I just come to church, God's going to offer me grace. It's not to be trampled. Here's the really good news. God demands righteousness. He demands right living. He demands holy living. But here's the great news about grace. Grace enables us to walk in obedience to God. By grace we get his spirit who helps us. By grace we get his word, which help us helps us. By grace in the new covenant, Jeremiah said the, that the that the word is now or the, the law is now written on our hearts, which means by grace our hearts are now bent towards pleasing God. Does God expect us in the New Testament church to obey him? Absolutely. But the great news is this He's given us grace that enables us to do that very thing. Hallelujah. So I ask you one more time, Tiffany, if you would come. I ask you one more time, how will you respond to God's warning found in Scriptures? I hope that you and I are like Isaiah, that we, when we encounter God, that we would respond with humility and a broken and a contrite heart. I hope none of us are like the rebellious generation That Isaiah is speaking to. Who when they hear the message of God. They just begin to get. More and more heart. Against the Lord. And they become estranged. Church if he's calling you today. To repent. Repent. If you're running from the Lord today. Repent. Repent. Thank God that he is long suffering. Thank God that he's. Patient. I think the fact that you're here today shows that He hasn't given up on you. But again, if you hear the Holy Spirit calling you, don't take that lightly. If you feel the tug of the Lord on your heart, and you know there's some things in your life you need to lay down, don't put it off. Lest your heart become hardened. What is the message of holiness? The message of holiness is this, that we must take God very seriously we must take our relationship with him seriously some of you are running you're buying into life well it doesn't really matter because God is so cute and cuddly (laughs) it's a picture we have of God especially in the west in the western world today oh he's so nice he's not really going to send people to hell he's so nice he's not really going to bring judgment upon people really have you read the bible Have you read the Bible? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise God for His love. Praise God for His long-suffering. Praise God for His patience. Praise God for His grace. But I want you to know He's also a God who has righteous anger, a God who has righteous judgment. We need to heed His warnings. One more verse, Hebrews 3.12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Friends, we live in a country who, by and large, full of people who have shaken their fists at God and say, We don't need you and we don't want you. They despise him. But I believe that there's a remnant. I still believe there's a remnant. I want to be part of the remnant. Do you? I want to see, I, I haven't I haven't lost hope in our country. I haven't lost hope. I, I pray that God continue to raise up some godly leaders and politicians and, and those things. But listen, no matter what happens, I believe that even when a nation is judged, that individuals can be saved. I look at Rahab. I look at Rahab in the Old Testament. Former prostitute who was saved when all the others were judged and experienced the wrath of God in her city. So I want to encourage you today. Heed the warnings of the Bible. Thank God for His love. Thank God for His patience. Live apart from the world. Jesus is not something you just add on to your attire and go, well, i go to church on Sunday and do live just how I used to live. Listen, he, he transforms you. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. He transforms every area of your life. And some of you right now, you know there's some things that you need to get right. Don't run from the Lord. Amen? He just warned him. He's a loving Father. Thank you for listening.